0: Nalors Natter, just talking to teachers with Teacher Hug Radio, the soundtrack to your teaching career.
1: Nalors Natter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at PNA
0: 1977
1: on Twitter. Nalors Natter, just talking to teachers.
0: Okay, good afternoon, John, and welcome to Teacher Hug Radio, and welcome back to Nailers Natter. Hi, Phil. It's a pleasure to be back. Thank you very much. Thank you. Right, so we're going to go into, now, like I said, because you've been on the show with Bernie Kay before, and we can signpost to that one, where you were talking about uh, teaching rebooted, and, of course, you took in as well your other uh, your other. Check one of the books that's one of my my personal favorites and we shared it a lot is succeeding as a head of year but mm-hmm. today's conversation is going to be around uh, stepping into senior leadership so can you just tell us a little bit same as you have done for the introduction of the book if you could just tell us a little bit about kind of your journey to this point and about why you went about writing this book
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting, We, having heard you speak before, we've kind of followed a bit of a similar path, really, that I I also started as a football coach and was doing kind of lots of coaching. Um, I went abroad and coached in the States for a couple of summers, like, you know, kind of a lot of people maybe listening have been kind of been out to kind of BUNAC or Camp America and that kind of thing. Um, and I realised I wanted to to get into teaching, really, from a you know from a PE point of view and, and, and do something I really loved. So I I did what would be called uh, I suppose school direct now, but it was called the GTP, the Graduate Teacher Program. If people can kind of remember that at the time, um, did that, and then I did my NQT year uh, both in the same school, which was <laughs> it was it was a bit like Grange Hill. Um, it's it's probably uh, you know it was one of those schools that were probably around about ten percent A to C at the time, um, a little bit of a jungle, but I absolutely loved it, and I think that. It was one of those things that really gave me a great grounding in behaviour, in relationships, uh, in, in in challenging kind of situations and, and circumstances, and I absolutely loved it. But I, I moved on after my NQT year, um, and then went to a school fairly fairly close by, and I stayed there for about uh, about eleven years, and went up through um, you know many promotions through kind of assistant head of year to start with, then head of year, then assistant head teacher, and it was interesting. My first promotion, and I was just talking to someone about this today, actually um i got called into the office and uh, one of the assistant head teachers and they said john have you seen the advert on the staff room wall for the assistant head of year job and i remember sp- saying you know really kind of clearly at the time why would i want to pick up everyone else's crap all day long and then that's kind of what i did for the next kind of 10 years of my career in terms of pastoral leadership uh, like i said i went from went to head of year and then assistant head teacher in charge of all the pastoral side and it was no surprise really that my first assistant head teacher job was behavior and was kind of leading on whole school behavior based on my grounding that I'd had in that first school through my GTP and my NQT year Um, loved it there spent um, seven years as a senior leader in three different positions as an assistant head and then moved on to deputy head teacher at my last school been there I was there for six and a half years Um, took on the role of director of teaching school and established the teaching school as well and then um, decided in my you know, my wisdom to leave uh, in lockdown uh, and join my new my my new kind of uh, trust in lockdown, which was being very very interesting. So I I started my new role as director uh, of, of uh, school improvement and deputy CEO of the Aretta Learning Trust up here in North Yorkshire on July the first, so in the middle of lockdown and. Um, you know the the last twelve months or nine months, I suppose, has been very very interesting, very very different, and um, you know a, a, a challenge like we've all faced. But was you know starting a new role in that has been uh, even more interesting. And then um, recently, I've I've been doing my my NPQEL, my executive leadership uh, qualification with Ambition Leadership. So uh, lots of things going on, and uh, yeah, that that's kind of been my route to there. And I suppose your second question about why did I write the the, the book Stepping into Senior Leadership? It was. I suppose, the book that I would have wanted to read 10 years ago. Um, and, you know, I I remember distinctly not having read many books on uh, on education or, lead, or leadership. So I, I I think probably there wasn't a lot around at that time. And I remember the, the, the first book I read on education was, um, was from Ron Berger, An Ethic of Excellence. And it opened my eye to kind of the fact that actually there is some books written out there by authentic leaders and teachers who are still doing it right now because previously it felt like it was... Uh, you know, academics and professors and things that had written textbooks. So I I wanted to write this about my journey and and how I could help other people and how that they can transition really from middle to senior leadership. So it's a, it's a guidebook really from A to Z all the way through there. So uh, yeah, that's kind of why I've written it. And it's, it's great to see people using it and kind of feeding back to me and saying that it's, it's really helpful for them at the moment.
0: It absolutely is. And it's, uh, I've said this to you before obviously. we came on to do the show is this is the book that I wish I'd read, like you said there about 10 years ago. Mm. You know, I've managed to be um, your assistant head teacher for 10 years. And I just think if I'd have had this one, I'm sure that, uh, you know, I could have have moved a little bit quicker through, John. Anyway, so like you said, the book is Stepping Into Senior Leadership. It's a guide for new and aspiring school leaders. And we're just going to talk, uh, as you said, a little bit there about the pathways into senior leadership. So you've had kind of a pastoral route into senior leadership and you've done a lot of the the kind of routes on that side but if you can just tell uh, the listeners a little bit about what different pathways you think there are into senior leadership and then for anyone who's maybe like you were that has been into the pastoral side of it how do you go about plugging any potential gaps that you might have in other areas of the school you know say curriculum for example?
1: Yeah, and I think this, you know, based on my kind of experience, I think there's probably two distinct kind of routes. There's probably some other little routes as well. But if, in terms of distinct and main routes, you've probably got a subject-based route or a pastoral-based route. And certainly from my experience from secondary schools, that's, that's certainly the way, the way I've kind of seen it unfold over the last few years. And subject-based route would be kind of going up through a, you know, a head of department and then maybe a head of faculty and potentially even a, a director of a subject like like the, uh, lots of kind of large mats have now at the moment. Um, and, and into senior leadership that way, or a pastoral bit route that, based route. Should I say that, that I had, which is more of a kind of a head of year, um you know, a route where you know you, you've got more of a kind of a whole school kind of grounding, I suppose. um and and I think that you know, my route, I, I believe, you know, stood me in good stead because it was that past route that had that whole school experience and I could maybe see things from a wider perspective as a head of year than maybe you can if you are a, a subject leader. Um, so that, that I, I kind of feel that, that that gave me a great grounding. But nevertheless, you know, both of those routes, uh, you know, that there are clear routes up there to, to senior leadership. The other thing I, w- I would say, though, is that there are lots and lots of what I call opportunities for butterfly projects in, in, in schools for you to kind of, you know, get involved with, do some whole school, um you know, work, demonstrate your impact and, and ultimately kind of spread your wings a little bit. And I think that, you know, if you are listening to this thinking that you want to gain some experience and maybe you feel that there is a a glass ceiling in front of you because people are sat in those positions that aren't moving on anytime soon or or you perceive that they're not going to move on anytime soon it's looking at how you can get involved in some other things in school and 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 do some of that whole school work so i think that 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 they they would be the the kind of routes that i would suggest and in terms of then you know how do you think about well how do i kind of plug my gaps um in 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 terms of you know where am i at and what do i need to kind of move through the ranks and, and, and through those kind of routes i think that first of all it's about you can 't plug your gaps, can you feel unless you really know what they are so i think that it 's it's either self awareness and having a self awareness of where you are lacking in some areas or where you need more experience or more expertise um, and and that and that might require you know a, a self assessment you know because actually if you 're not that self aware or or you 're not really sure then it 's about actually you know self assessing yourself against some kind of standards or, or or even being brave enough to do sometimes a like a leadership three sixty where you get some of your colleagues to actually you know, be be brutally honest about where you are and where you're not, and and that can be that can be it can be very eye opening and it can be very damaging at the same time, um, especially if your opinion of yourself is higher than what your colleagues is. So that, but but I think it really gives you a a real understanding of actually, well, you know, if I, if I think I'm at this level, what do other people think around me? Um, and you you might be surprised. You, you might get you, you know people might feel you're you, they're even they're, you're even better than, than you think you are yourself. Um, so once you've done that. It, for me it's then how do you once you've worked out what those gaps are how are you going to plug them well you, know, you can you can do visits to other schools you, you can kind of open up network opportunities and you know as we both know things like Twitter and LinkedIn and, and, and social media was fantastic to to open up networks where you can kind of uh, speak to people get advice from people um, you know and also then start of take up offers from people in terms of visits and can I visit you or can I see this or can you send me a copy of that or an example of that and, and you know, there's so many people out there that, that really want to help but, uh, but also not forgetting that there will be an expert in your school that in in all the areas that you are needing to develop you know so it's, it's about using the expertise around you and not being too um shy i suppose or or, or kind of or kind of worried to actually say listen i need to get better at this can you help me with it and actually taking the time to sit down with the experts in your school to do that and then you know we, we all know about the external professional development opportunities that you can do and going on courses and things like that but I think what I've found in the last kind of few years is that some of those external courses have actually they haven't been as um, uh, sought after maybe as, as they were a few years ago, and I think people are finding different ways to do more different innovative um, professional and personal development and certainly things like podcasts like this and the books that we you know that, 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 that we're reading now in terms of the fact that from people who are on the ground still doing those roles I think are hugely beneficial um they they far more cost effective uh you know so sort of from an efficiency point of view and also you can pick them up and put them down whenever you want to whether that's a podcast whether it's a book and you can learn at your own speed so i think that those would be the ways that i would well, that i've done myself and i found really interesting and useful and they would be where i would kind of signpost people to begin with to kind of look at um you know really kind of plug in some of those gaps and being able to put yourself in the right position to move to that next uh, that next stage of your career
0: what I was saying, though, there is that, you know, this is the great thing about the book is that it's so hugely practical and it's clearly based in the classroom and, and your experience really shines through. And I kind of signposted listeners as well, as I did at the beginning, to your previous books as well. Now, if you're an aspiring head of year, for example, then obviously signposted that book because it really is something that, you know, and you said there about courses, you know, the, the lived experience in this book is really, really beneficial. And obviously coupled with the podcast that you've done with Darren, the podcast that you've done with us, the podcast that you do yourself as well, are definitely things that we'll signpost listeners to as well. So um, in terms of the next question, so moving through the book, if we can, you talk about, you know, your move during lockdown into a new school. So I mean, it's a particularly difficult time to do that, but how do you go about thinking or how do you go about knowing that a particular school is right for you?
1: Well, I think that that's even more important in 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 today's educational landscape as it ever has been because I mean there's so many different kind of types of schools now. and We're certainly seeing you know the real, the growth of multi academy trusts, and I think it's um, it's also about making sure that it's not just about is the are you right for the school. It's about making sure that is the school right for you because you know I've seen many people um, either kind of close colleagues or colleagues that I've seen kind of you know, extended extended networks on Twitter and stuff that make the wrong move at the wrong time um for various different reasons and that can be kind of very damaging so it's making sure that you do your your kind of homework and you find out that actually i'm not just jumping at the first opportunity but is this the kind of right school so if i just kind of pull that apart a little bit you've got local authority schools you've got kind of you know standalone academies you've got academies as part of mats maybe small mats maybe huge mats and all of those schools are very very different in their makeup and and your day-to-day experience in those as a leader is going to be very very different um I, you know, if you're going to be joining, you know, a, a large multi-academy, uh, trust, then a lot of those kind of processes, systems, procedures might already be in place, um, in terms of this is how we do things, this is the way it works, etc., etc. Um, and that, and that, that might, that might excite you, you, you might think that's great, but equally you might think, well, that is, is that kind of stumping some of my creativity and do I, you know, do I want to be in a, in a small amount where I can create some of those things myself and, and have, have, have more impact in, in that way. Um, and then also there's things, you know, school performance, you know, Ofsted, um, while, while they're kind of still here, I suppose we, we don't know what's going to kind of happen in the future, but certainly thinking about, you know, do you want to work in an outstanding school? Do you want to work in an adequate school you know, requires improvement or a good school? And there are lots of different reasons for those. And I remember you know, way back at the start of my career thinking that, you know, the be all and end all was to kind of work in an outstanding school because that was, surely that was the kind of the goal and to feel really, really proud of that. But actually, as you start to become a leader, then, you know, if you are really a really creative and innovative person, if you're going to walk into a job in an outstanding school, um, then you may not, I'm not, not saying yes or no, yet, but you may not get the opportunity to change lots of things, have different innovation, uh, rip, rip things up, start things again. Whereas, in other schools where where that's clearly really needed uh, because there's been some you know system failures over the last few years and the school needs a change and needs a push then actually you maybe get the opportunity to do those type of things in in ri schools and adequate schools etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's not always about kind of picking the you know the uh, you know the, the, the school based on performance but actually you know what type of a person are you what type of things would you want to do nailers netter just talking to teachers
0: Join in the conversation on hashtag TeacherHugRadio or call the show on 0800 246 1555.
1: Um, and, and making sure it's right for you. And then things like location, I think that's really important as well. And that shouldn't be overlooked because my experience of being an assistant head in charge of behavior and exclusions and safeguarding, um, that you might not there want, to, therefore necessarily want to be doing that at your closest school. Because some of those families might be living in the same kind of, you know, in the same estates or, or the same kind of locality and bumping into them in the shop, in the supermarket, et cetera, et cetera. So it's actually thinking, well, you know, it might be great to work five minutes away from my school, but actually, depending on what position I'm in, that might actually be a disadvantage as well. Um, and I've, I've also, always found as well that up to around about half an hour away in the car is, for me, kind of like a bit of an optimum kind of time because I have time to listen to podcasts, listen to some music, relax, de-stress, uh, whatever it is, and then have a bit of my own time in the car. So when I do get home, then I'm ready to kind of, you know, play happy families and and, and, and give my kind of energy and, and thoughts and everything to my kind of wife and to my kids rather than only only having a five-minute journey from school to get here and then and then having to de-stress when I get home. So, you know, each, each to their own, but it's about you know, looking at all those things and doing your homework and making sure that the that the school is right for you as well as the as sc- as well as you've been right for the uh, for the school as well.
0: There's just such great points there, John. As I was sitting there thinking, I was just thinking, is that how I've selected the last few jobs? And I was kind of nodding <laughs> along there thinking, yeah, th- this is right. And especially the point you made in terms of school leadership. And, you know, I, I'm like you. I've worked in, in every kind of school, in every kind of scenario. You know, I, I started in a you know, a single-sex high-performing school with 92%, you know, five starter see old Mm -hmm. money, you know, down to Mm -hmm. different circumstances across different towns and all sorts. But you're right in terms of the opportunity to innovate within certain schools is more than, you know, perhaps a school where, you know, they've been outstanding for the last 10 years and the the banners out the front. And, you know, this is the way we do things around here. So I I love the way that, again, like I said about the book, you've really unpicked that uh, for everyone who's listening, thinking about all of those different categories okay so um in terms of you know for people that you know these are natural kind of transition points as this uh, as we put this out so we'll be into the easter holidays and people will maybe be you know having a little bit more time to think about the next career move so, so that listeners uh, are thinking about you know a new job or looking at to apply for somewhere what kind of tips would you give listeners for preparing for interviews
1: i think i'll say one of the things i said in the last one again do your homework you know it, it it's it's a, it's 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 not an excuse to not be fully prepared um, because I think there are only so many things that are going to come up on an interview, and again, use the people in your current school. You know, speak to the people who sit on interview panels. Speak to the people who construct the activities for the for the last seen leadership interviews at your school. Um, now, clearly, if you're going for an internal role, you may not get as much of that information as you want. But if it's a an external role, you're moving to to a different school then, you know, you use the expertise in your school because, like I said, that there are only so many things uh, that generally kind of come up. And um, so if, we, if I kind of break that down a little bit, if you prepare kind of mentally, I suppose, in terms of the different questions that may come up, the different panels uh, and the tasks... Um, and I found, you know, the interviews that I've been through, uh, very, very grueling and almost like a survival of the fittest. So I don't want anyone to be kind of caught out there and think, oh, it'll be, it'll be fine. I'll just go in and it'll be a, a, a normal interview and that's it. It won't be, you know, you'll get there. It will probably be for some of these interviews now, one or two full days, um, and when I say full days, I mean full days, like things every half an hour, every hour on, on a rotor, or like a, a kind of carousel of activities. Um, you know, student panel, governor panel, senior leadership panel, um, questions, in-tray tasks. Uh, they might want to see you teach. They, they might want you to do a presentation. Um, you know, there's so many different things, but you know, it, it, they shouldn't come as a surprise because... Lots of schools do these things in the same way, and everything might be slightly different. But but you, you should be able to feel, you know, if you're going to a for an assistant head teacher role or a deputy head teacher role, and it's in its you know about about student performance or, or, or outcomes, then you will get a data task. You know, they will be they want to know: can you pick apart this data? Can you see where the issues are? Have you got a sharp eye? And then probably can you put together a very very quick development plan in a in a task afterwards to kind of well, you've picked this out. What are we going to do next? And I think you can you can almost, like I say, prepare for some of those things already. You know, by you know finding what information you can publicly about the school. And there's lots of things out there that if you want to find you can about schools. Um, you know, find, you know do, and do your research. Do actually look at their website properly. You know, and, and talk to the school when you get there about. You know, I've seen this on your website, and one of the things that always strikes me is that I can very quickly work out being on the other side of an interview table if somebody is just applying to four or five jobs or if somebody really, really, really wants to work at our school. And that's the difference that you need to try and get across. This isn't just one of four applications I've put in and I hope I get it. I want to work at your school because, and that because when you come across things that you've read on the, on on their website, on their school development plan, their ethos, you've walked around the school, you've spoken to people, whatever it is, it, it gets that character coming across. So that's how I would prepare mentally, but also, Just as important as preparing physically as well. Um, you know, planning the route because you may think you know where the school is. But have you driven it? And do you know exactly how we get there? Do you know, have you driven it actually at nine o'clock in the morning or five o'clock at night? Because that's the time, that's a type, type of time you'd be going. And if you drive it at nine o'clock at night and think, oh, great, it took me 15 minutes. But well, we all know we've been caught out by that before, where suddenly you wake up in the morning and you sat and says it's going to take you 37 minutes because of traffic. I think it's really important to do those things, work out what you're going to wear. Um, and and you know, I always say to people, be the best possible version of yourself. You know, that's all you can be. Do your preparation, be the best version of you you can be, and ultimately, if you are right for the school, then you know they, they, they they'll pick you. Um, but certainly, you know, preparing mentally, preparing physically, understanding what you're going to wear, when you know, having things out the two or three days before, hung there, so there's there's no kind of surprises or worries in the morning of you know, I haven't driven that before, I'm going to get caught up in traffic, or I'm not sure what this tie or that tie or these shoes or these heels. Get all that done before because those are things you can prepare for certain things on the day you won't be able to, but if you've done everything you can to prepare yourself, then everything else should slide into place and become a lot easier, uh, you know, when you get down to it.
0: So so true and just you know full disclosure uh, shares own story again but uh, I went for a job at uh, a local school and it was an assistant head teacher job at the time um, for some reason John I was driving a 25 year old Toyota Hilux um, (laughs) 3 litre turbo diesel it was quite useful for the kids but not maybe the image that I was trying to strike um, with the school anyway your point is right so because I was relatively local I thought well I've been there loads of times before but I hadn't been there, as you said, in the rush hour. So imagine I was absolutely belting it to get there to make sure that you know it wasn't late. And it was only one space left and it was next to the head teachers. So you know, <laughs> pulled in, you know, absolutely breakneck speed into their space. But because the Toyota is rather a large vehicle, pulled it into the tightest possible space. Anyway, out a jump, going, there. and then all I can hear is the pipping of the horn I've only gone and locked kind of the head teacher in because he's up against a wall on one side and a Toyota (laughs) Hilux on the other. So he's unable to get his own car to conduct the interview. Anyway, suffice to say, it didn't go terribly well after that. Anyway, but uh, great, great you, first impressions, eh? It was, yeah. I mean, the, the car in itself was bad enough, but the, the locking in was rather hard to explain away. But I mean, you've, you've unpicked all the details as, as I've said in previous uh, previous sections. But also, one bit I liked as well is about you know we've all been in that room, haven't we? Where we sit with other candidates, and you've written down. If I may read your own work back to you, you know, don't get caught up worrying about anybody else on the day in terms of um, who they are and what they can do. Lots of people talk a good game and training intimidate you making you feel that they're the favorite for the job and I think we can all kind of empathize with that as well.
1: Absolutely and I've I've had that happen to me personally which is why I wrote in the book you know my the job the my last job my deputy head teacher job I remember sitting in the uh, the staff room and preparing for the final kind of interview and the guy who'd been in in front of me kind of came out and was all bravado and they asked me if I wanted to sit down I said no I want to stand up and all this kind of stuff and I did this I smashed it I did this and he was just I don't know whether it was just his personality or whether he was actually trying to kind of intimidate me and that was his kind of game plan. But then he then he then sat next to me and put the cricket on five live on his on his on his phone, like playing out on five live next to me. And I'm like, what are you doing, mate? You know, I'm 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 just I'm just kinda of gonna get prepped for this. But and I got a little bit kind of caught up into that and I had to then kinda of pull myself back from it and almost read my own work back to me and say, Listen, you know this, don't do this, settle yourself down take them out of the equation, you know, and, and focus on what you're doing. But it can be because you get to those positions where people tell you, oh, I've done this, 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 this. And you can, you know, when those seeds of doubt start to kind of creep in, especially an interview day, they can be really damaging. So it's it's definitely about having that game plan of not listening to other people, not kind of taking anything in. And, you know, you do the hellos and everything, but you know, you're you there for you. Um, and, I, and I think that that that's really important to, to think about that.
0: Definitely. Okay, so on to the next section. Now, obviously, for listeners who are in that position where they're thinking about going for another position, or indeed, you know, going for a promoted position within the school that they're in. So, you know, as you take the next step up, and you've done that, as you said, from assistant head to deputy head, and then further on. So how difficult is it to establish or in some cases, if you're an internal um, person, re-establish professional relationships once you move up through the ranks of SLT?
1: It can be very difficult, Phil. And I think that depending on different circumstances, it can either be easier or, or harder. But I, what I will say is that it's essential to do that. How you know, However hard or however easy it is, it's really important to do it. I think from an internal point of view, it can be very difficult if you've been one of the gang, you know, one of the team, and suddenly you're now in an elevated position and you're then starting to line manage people. And that can be quite tricky. And it's about potentially removing yourself away from some of those situations um, and whether that's kind of, sitting with people um, and, and having those daft jokes that you would have done at lunchtime or in the staff room. And, and sometimes you need to actually consciously just pull yourself out of those because you don't want to get caught up in some of those kind of awkward conversations or situations where people are talking about this or, you know, slagging off SLT or whatever it may be. Actually, it's, a, it's sometimes thinking, well, how can I still retain that kind of camaraderie and that teamwork and that respect? But equally, I'm now a leader, and I'm now at a different position in the school. And it's understanding the different stages in your career and how you have to kind of operate slightly differently. And that feels a little bit sad sometimes, kind of saying that out loud, but ultimately you're in a, you're in a, a different, you have a different responsibility now. Externally, that's a little bit easier because you're coming in and, and you haven't got that baggage, you haven't got those relationships already. However, it's therefore really, really important um, to, to develop those because you are going to be the new boy, the new girl. People are going to be looking at you. And also looking at you very, very early on to see, well, and working you out, you know, what's he actually like? What's she going to bring to the school? And one thing I kind of learned on my MPQH was quick wins you know, what, what are those quick wins that you can do to demonstrate that impact, to demonstrate the fact that you're here for people, you're going to, you're going to, when you run through walls for people, you are going to be people, you know, you're going to have that kind of integrity and you're going to do this, 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 and this, and, you, and you're really here for people to make a difference. And I remember on the MPQH, somebody talking about the fact that, and this, I suppose, really goes for maybe, maybe kind of deputy heads or, or heads really, but if you go into a school, it's, it's finding out what really has annoyed people and, and and what's kind of held things back and if you can fix those little things really quickly and the analogy that they made on the course was that if the coffee machine has been broken or has been on the blink in the staff room if you can fix that in the first few days and make people really really happy then actually you'll have so much currency in the bank with people because people are be like oh and he's only been here two days and he's fixed this and he's done that and it doesn't really matter what it is it's about what matters to people not necessarily what matters to you and some of the some of the smallest and most trivial things will matter the most to staff and if you can work that out and you can do that then straight away you're going to build that currency in the bank um so i I would certainly think about quick wins and then the other thing that i've always made sure that i've or tried to make sure hopefully i've tried to make sure i've done in my career and certainly more recently is you know starting with the why you know telling people why i think because we have so many changes thrown out as an education um, if you take the time to talk to people about why we're doing it and explain it, generally, if you're of sound mind and you've got good ideas, then the why will be there and it'll be obvious and it'll be about doing the best for the kids and for, for the for the school. And people will go along with it. But I think sometimes when we change things and we don't give the why and it feels like it's, a, well, you know, what the hell are we doing this for? Or is it because of Ofsted? Is it because of this? Is it because of that? Or you've been on a course. But if you if you explain that at the start, take the time to do that generally i have found that you will get so much further with people um because there's an honesty there's a real kind of understanding and also you're treating people like uh, real adults and real professionals by offering them the, the 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 decency and the respect to tell people why we're doing things rather than just well we're doing it because i've said it so th- th- that that would be what i would do in t- in terms of that uh, whether you're an internal or an external kind of promotion into leadership nailer's Natter, just talking to teachers
0: Join in the conversation on hashtag TeacherHugRadio or call the show on 0800 246 1555. And they're all great points, John. And I mean, I don't know how you found it because obviously, like I said, you've gone into a job kind of in these difficult circumstances. But actually, if you flip these difficult circumstances, because, you know, just just in terms of my kind of journey with this, I came into a school just pre sort of pandemic. So I was at Christmas of 2019 so you know just coming into that and you know in terms of being in and out of school in terms of you know being able to make a lot of decisions it's been quite you know an interesting time but also quite a positive time in the sense that you know establishing yourself at this time, when there's so many decisions going on and so much to do, it's kind of accelerated and accentuated the, the kind of need for leadership in these circumstances. Mm. So actually, you know, don't know how you found it, but perhaps, you know, going for a job at this time, you know, you, you certainly will get a chance to uh, to make quite a few decisions anyway.
1: Yeah, and and I think you know I think there's there's opportunities and there's kind of barriers to, to everything at, at, at this moment in time, and and it's about seizing those opportunities, like you say, and 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 using those opportunities to your advantage, you know, and uh, and I think you know one of the things that I've found very very uh, different in, in my new role is that you know I'm not really front line anymore you know I'm not the person that's on the gate with someone with a high vis jacket on a radio at eight o'clock in the morning when it's lashing down with rain and you build up that camaraderie with people you know I'm in a, I'm in a different role now as deputy CEO and I, I'm seeing that differently and I'm having to therefore build up uh, relationships in a different way build up trust and, and integrity in a different way because, they, because I'm not as seen as much you know on on the front line so um, you know and, and working across three schools you you're naturally not in those schools every single day because of three schools, so that's that, that's been a learning curve for me as well uh, in in terms of how I'm doing that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, in terms of all the different responsibilities, and you talked about your kind of pathway through, and you've done safeguarding, you've done behaviour, you've obviously presumably been teaching as well at the same time. So how difficult is it for people that are moving up or stepping into senior leadership to kind of juggle all those competing responsibilities?
1: It it can be very, very difficult. And and the thing I would say here, and it, it you know, it, it might sound easy for me to say this, but you need to be super, super organized. You need to organize your time, your calendar, your diary, know where you are, uh, have all your Things available, and I think digitally now that's made it a lot easier because you can walk into a classroom, you can log on, and you can grab everything from your Google Drive or your Microsoft Teams, or you've got everything at your fingertips. Where previously, you know, we've seen people kind of dragging you know trolleys around the school and this and and folders and everything, and and, and I think digitally now it's been helped by that. I am certainly. Uh, a, a massive advocate of kind of digital organization. I don't, I don't have many things on paper. You know, I've got an iPad that I take digital notes on so I can access that whenever I am on my phone or on my iPad or, or whatever. And I've got everything in the cloud on my laptop. So I just need a Wi-Fi connection and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm happy um, whether that's in this country or, or in another country, I can kind of access everything. But I think they also from a, a teaching point of view, you've absolutely got to have your shop in order. It, it, it's got to be something that you are, Extremely secure in your day to day hour by hour teaching, because unfortunately and, I, and I, again i don 't like saying this, but unfortunately, when you become a senior leader, certain roles, for instance, my pastoral roles that, I, that i've that i 've had uh, become your priority, and your teaching sometimes slips down that kind of priority order. Um, therefore, you need to be able to run off to your lesson uh, at the last minute and, and be able to just open your computer, smile, and boom, just perform and have everything there available. Because if you can't do that, I've seen, again, people and your colleagues who have struggled with that because they maybe haven't has had their 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 classroom environment um as organized as they, as, as they could uh, or 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 their classroom craft and expertise nailed as much as they could. And they found those competing demands have been a, a dynamic simulator where things change at a minute's notice and you know there's there's kind of lots of pressure, there's lots of responsibility, as well as teaching a significant amount of lessons a week. They found that very, very challenging. So um definitely you need to make sure that you are ready to go because you'll you, you, there'll be times where you walk into your class or you're, you know you're walking you're thinking right I've got 10 minutes here to get to my next lesson and you know I'm going to be there I'm going to set up beforehand I want to be there on the on the corridor for when the kids come all those great things that we know and you're walking there you've given yourself enough time and somebody catches you on your way Ah oh, John Phil have you got five, have you just got two minutes? now it's never two minutes. We all know that's never two minutes, and they speak to you right up until that kind of bell goes when those kids are arriving and suddenly all your best lead plans are knocked back. so you need to be able to literally perform at a minute's notice um and 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 you know know that know that you will get called away and you will have different competing demands and and unfortunately, like I say some you know, your teaching will probably slip down your priority list at several times uh, you know throughout the year. And, and that is so, so true, John, um, in terms of
0: the, the classroom, but also, you know, th- that kind of pressure of, and I'm not suggesting for a minute that, you know, it, it's such an onerous pressure, but the responsibility is probably a better word, that you know, you've got to be living and breathing, particularly when you were doing it, if you're in charge of the behavior policy in the school, you've got to be seen to be following that, but you've got to be seen to be publicly following that. So not only have you got the pressure of the pedagogy, of the subject knowledge, of the teaching and craft in the classroom, you've also got the weight of the responsibility to make sure you are the best at all the routines. You are in meticulous about whether it's a mobile phone policy or whatever it might be, or an on-call system. And it's that, you know, added responsibility that all the eyes will be on you as well.
1: Absolutely. And, and, and like you say that, that you need to role model it, you know, because you can't be kind of, uh, do what I say, don't do as I do, you know, you've got to role model it from the top. Um, and yeah, you know, that, that, the, the pressure does come with that. Absolutely. Okay, so on that, and uh, this is a kind of a vested
0: interest question. So, you know, your, your book's about stepping into senior leadership. So, I think we're we'll probably all agreed that, you know, whether it's uh, phase leads in primary school, whether it's assistant heads or deputy heads, um, potentially in primary schools, you probably will teach. But I'm kind of, this question's more for senior leaders within secondary schools. So, Assistant heads, it's kind of a given that they will teach a certain amount of timetable. I certainly taught a hefty timetable, uh, two out of three lessons most days when I was assistant head teacher. But in terms of deputy head teachers and head teachers, what's your view, John, in terms of should they still teach and what are the kind of pros and cons of, of teaching or not teaching at that level?
1: Well, this is an interesting one because I've thought long and hard about this and I, and I kind of have got my experience to share here, but also kind of my thoughts. Um, I think, and, and you know, Uh, Yes and no is is where I'm going to sit on this. So I'm going to sit on the fence, but I'll tell you why. The pros of this are, you've got that, like well, like we said in the last question there, really, the kind of the integrity, the believability, um, I'm modeling it for you. I wouldn't ask you to do anything I couldn't do myself. Um, All those things that come with, and, and, and that's that's in any walk of life you know that's that, that's whether you are you know a manager or you know or, or on the shop floor wherever you are actually whether it's in school or whether it's in an, in, in an industry you want to be able to demonstrate that actually i've done this i know what it's like i wouldn't be asking you to do anything that, that you wouldn't normally do and understanding how long things take the difficulty of things um and like and chipping in and be able to show you know this is this is who i am and this is what i do so i really think that's really important and also understanding what teaching is really about, because, you know, it has changed over, you know, quite considerably over the last kind of 20, 30 years, uh, and certainly over the last four or five years, you know, things are changing again. And it, and it's about understanding that and, and being able to still be a practicing teacher that, you know, that, that, that is able to demonstrate that and, and is able to talk about it and understand it. However, the other side of it, um, and this is from my experience now is that leadership or or leadership capacity, in my opinion, is the key to school improvement. Um, And if you haven't got the right leaders doing the right things at the top, then sometimes, you know, if they aren't steering the ship, they can hit a few icebergs. It doesn't matter how well, you know, the cooks are cooking on the on the restaurant floor in the, in, in, in the, in the kind of cruise ship. Um, it doesn't really matter. You know, there's going to be a crash. And I think that that's the same in teaching. The teachers can feel like they're teaching, you know, their socks off. But if the school isn't being led sufficiently well, then actually you're going to come up uh, against some problems. And, and when I joined as, as deputy head teacher at my last school, the school requires improvement and we I joined midway through the year and I joined and and didn't wasn't given a timetable because I was kind of supernumerary as an extra deputy head coming in and I only really picked up, you know, one or two lessons the kind of year after. So I had complete capacity to be able to change things, move things forward, not have to run off to lessons left, right and center. I was able to have, you know, two or three hours at a time to work through things, to walk the school, to meet people, to, you know, when everyone, anyone was, any, oh, sorry, anyone who wanted to speak to me that I was able to to speak to them and, and you know, meet people. And... In the time in that in those first two three years, the school moved forward rapidly because of the capacity we had in leadership. And I think often we've got great leaders, but they're actually kind of teaching us at the same time. And I know that's really important. And I know that we want the best teachers in front of our our students, but we equally need the best leaders leading our schools. Um, so depending on which depending on the you know the, the context of the school et cetera et cetera, then you know I, I would say that. It, it it's fine either way there and I know that's that's maybe not the kind of you wanted a straight answer there, but I think that that's just my experience that um you know it might be great, but it might not be great.
0: No, I didn't want a straight answer, and that's a perfect answer, and actually that's made me kind of reflect and think about the, the kind of discussions I'm having around teaching. I mean, you know, I have mentioned, and uh, I said this every time, I, I very much doubt that anyone that's at our school was actually listening to me because, you know, they're sick of me uh, recording presentations like this for them uh, on a weekly basis. But if they are, you know, it was a selfish move. I wanted to go back in the classroom because I enjoy it, which sounds awful, but it was also quite amusing, John, to see the uh, reaction of the students' faces. And when they said, you teach? <laughs> I said, yeah i said what what did you think of it? Oh, i didn't know you know did you do something with behavior I said well yeah yeah obviously that as well and like you said you know wear a yellow jacket stand at the front of school with a radio and a megaphone and those kind of things but it was just really interesting reaction and kind of it's really changed the dynamics and changed the relationships particularly with the class that i'm teaching and wider in year 11 i've kind of looked at me slightly differently it's like oh wow you know he knows stuff mm-hmm. and, it, and about science as well you know mm-hmm. They always assumed I was a PE teacher, which I kind of liked because I have been mm-hmm. in the past. But, you know, believe it or not, I actually do teach science. So I think that's a great answer. It's a really great answer. And, and leading on from it, John, if we might do so, something that I, I enjoyed you talking about in the book is about this idea of presence. And obviously presence is, you know, something that's very hard to qualify and say what that is. So um, in terms of a kind of presence, how do you kind of go about divide, defining it even? And why do you think it's important in senior leaders?
1: I think it I think it's really really important because I think it's and would I be able to define it in one sentence no, I probably won't unless I kind of just picked out a you know a random kind of definition from a dictionary but I think it it's everything from visibility um confidence um camaraderie um you know ha- having kind of sharp eyes you know knowing you know not missing things. Um, you know, you know, not walking past things and kind of ducking your head or closing your eyes and thinking, I don't want to deal with that. You know, it's all those things that kind of come together that actually you are out and about, you are visible. Um, and, you know, I think that breeds confidence because actually people feel you have got that presence. Now, you know, it can be presence in a classroom. When you walk into a classroom, it can also be presence, or, you know, on the corridors. It can be presence at school events, um, you know, in meetings, on the school yard, on the gate in the morning, and I think all of those things together start to bring about that kind of, uh, you know, your presence as a leader because actually you are all over the place. You know, you're seen. You're not kind of hidden behind your office door all the time because that isn't presence, you know. So, and but equally, presence doesn't mean just you know um, shouting, you know, and raising your voice because actually we can have so much more presence in in lots of different kind of quiet leadership ways, uh, you know, rather than just being the, um, you know, the bravado um, kind of, I'm the loudest in this room and I, you know, I want to demonstrate that I'm kind of, you know, 10 foot tall and I have that presence. Well, actually that's, that's really kind of winning away now. I think we're seeing a lot in society that, that it's certainly not about that. And we've, you know, we've seen that with with some political leaders as well across the uh, you know across the world you know that actually there's there's a different way to have presence and there's a, there's a more there's a, there's a cuter and and, and more kind of um, I don't want to say a more intelligent way but there are there are different ways to you know to demonstrate our presence and you know those are things I said there I think are really key to make sure you're out and about and you do breed confidence uh, and, and, and people know you're there and people know that you're actually um, you're willing to go that extra mile for the school for them and, and like I said before about kind of teaching as well not not asking people to do things that you wouldn't do yourself. You know, so you're out there when it's raining with your Hive's jacket on or a break time or on the gate, whatever it is. Cause actually if you're asking your staff to do it, then you need to be able to do it as well. Nailers, Natter, just talking to teachers.
0: Join in the conversation on hashtag teacher hug radio or call the show on 0800 246 1555. Yep, and that's been seen, you know, right the way through the periods when it's been, um, you know, lockdown and schools have been open with the key workers and vulnerable. You know, you've seen opportunities for, you know, people to be in and, and, and real show presence, you know, leading communities even, not, to, not just schools, through what have been, you know, extremely difficult and challenging times. Um, let's go on to one of my favorite chapter, John. And I know this is because I'm a bit of a geek and I love a good meeting, but the <laughs> chapter on facilitating and leading productive meetings. Now I like to highlight things and I've highlighted a few things. I'm going to quote a few things back to you if I may mm. do. But yeah. I think that the way that we do meetings has, has massively changed, uh, partly as a result of the fact that it's been difficult to have that many people in a room. So obviously we've used, you know, conferencing uh, software. We've used Teams. We've used whatever it is, Zoom to so do all these different kind of meetings and meetings have changed. But You talked about early in the chapter about the cost of meetings. And this is something Mm. that I highlighted there when you said, you know, ask yourself the question, have we just got a hundred pounds, 500 pounds, a thousand pounds worth of value from that meeting? And I bet, you know, listeners, you can think of many, many times when you haven't got anywhere near that value. So how difficult is it, John, to lead productive meetings?
1: It can be very difficult if you don't think about it. Um, I think that that's the first thing I would say. Um, but it, it, it can be quite, well, not quite simple, but it can be, it can be easier if you are thinking about it and you're thinking about it strategically and actually thinking about, you know, what is it that we want from this meeting? Um, because we can all just meet and just chat and not really get anywhere. Uh, and we've, we've probably all experienced lots of those meetings before where you come out and you think, like, what, what was the point of that? You know, what did we get? Or, you know, do we even, do we even get a resolution there? Um, the, the big thing that, that I, that I, that I always say is that when you, when you have a meeting, and you've got potentially the great and the good of the school in one room. You need to make sure that you utilise that time really effectively, um, because it, like you said, it, you know, that what is the cost of a meeting? So if, if people are listening, to this thinking, "Well, what does he mean? You know, what does he mean the cost of the meeting that you know it, it, we're all being paid? It's kind of free. We're not having to rent the space out." What I mean by that is there is a human resource cost to that meeting. So if you are meeting as a, a senior leadership team and your meeting lasts for two hours, three hours, which people I'm sure will be nodding along to thinking, yeah, that's kind of probably pretty standard uh, in, in, in our working week. Do you, the next time you're in there, just, just have a little a look around and think, right, well, if there are 10 people in this meeting, 15 people, 20 people in this meeting, however big your leadership team is. And and I'm talking about, you know, from the head's peer who might be uh, taking the minutes to the head, to the business manager, to the two deputies, to the four or five assistant heads, to the, you know, whatever it is, add them all up and then just do a a rough calculation of, well, I know the head roughly would be probably on this money. The deputies are roughly on this money. The assistants are, you know, not to the pound, but even if you just said like 50,000, 70,000, 80,000. And then just start to break that down a little bit in terms of the, you know, the weekly and down to an hourly rate because you can do that pretty quickly and pretty easily. You can do that in your head or on, on your phone. And then start to work out, actually, how much does this meeting cost? You know, because you can very quickly do that and get an hourly rate for your SLT meetings, roughly, in terms of the human resource cost. And then it might start to scare you a little bit because you might then start to think, hang on a second, and like you said a minute ago, have we got a £1,000 worth of, of, of impact from this meeting? Because actually, I know we're already being paid anyway, and we're not having to pay that out. But we could be doing a lot of other a lot of other things with our time as leaders rather than just sat around here, just kind of talking shop. So that's a, that's the first thing I would say for you to kind of look at and think about. And that might scare a few people in terms of you know the cost of your meetings across the year as well, not just in one week. Um, but, but going back to your kind of I suppose the 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 the, the, the kind of the, the nebulous of the question there in terms of how can we make sure that actually we um you know, we hold productive meetings well. Actually, preparing and planning for the meeting, I think, is really important. Um, and one of the things I kind of introduced at my last were flipped meetings. So everyone had to have their their, their presentations. Um, they're you know, up on the agenda three or four days before. Um, it, it, you know, we used uh, Microsoft Teams um, and, and, and OneNote, so we were using that heavily. People put their presentations on. They put some think pieces on and some questions on. And then there was a professional responsibility to read and digest that information. And I and I, and I said that carefully, I read and digest, not just skim read it, but take the time to digest it. And that's why it was up there a few days beforehand, not just reading it 20 minutes before you go in, because we all digest things at different rates and different times. You know, when you're driving the car, when you're sat in the bath, when you're sat in the toilet, things come to you at different times. And actually... Having the time to digest that information means that when you go into the meeting, you've already thought about it, you've already maybe asked some questions, you've already done some extra research and reading, and you can get to the get-go when you get in the meeting. You can get to the decisions. You know, I'm not going to read through all this. I asked you to think about these three or four points here. Right, let's start there. So there's a natural assumption and a professional assumption that you've read that, you've digested it, you've taken some notes, and we're now going to think about the actions. We're not just going to talk about it because we're all intelligent enough to read things. You know, we shouldn't have to have someone read it to us line by line because we wouldn't do that to, to students. We've got, you know, professional leaders in a meeting. Let's treat them like professionals. So that's that's one thing that I've really, really used. Um and and also then thinking about the time, the location, what the outcome needs to be. Uh, are we starting with the action points from the last meeting? You know, just little productivity tips in terms of how we're going to get the best out of this. But that, you know, that, that, that was a huge move forward for us as a school, my last school, in terms of our flipped meetings. It changed the culture of our meetings. It changed that kind of culture of professional responsibility to read and read up on things before. And because, you know, we've all been in meetings, I'm sure anyone listening now, if you've been in a a, a, a data meeting, Uh, or an attendance update or a key stage two, three or four kind of student performance meeting where somebody stands at the front and they talk to you about all these figures and all these numbers and then they want a decision pretty quickly. Well, I have no... I can't take those numbers in at that speed. I need time to look at it, look at it again, digest it, get a ruler over it, look at where it is, highlight things, write things, search something up. You can't do that in a meeting if if you see it blind and if somebody's only got a 10-minute item and they want an, an action on it, we make very unsound decisions sometimes based on a uh, the, the hierarchy of people in the meeting. If, if, a, if a senior person in the meeting said, well, I think this, what do we think? Lots of inexperienced or lesser ranked people in that meeting probably then start nodding along and going, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But they haven't had time to think about that information themselves. So I really, really think giving people the time to digest it and think about it is super, super important. And we start to make better decisions. And we also start to take less time in our meetings because we're getting to the get-go and we're not having people reading through stuff that actually, as an intelligent person, you can read through in your own time, in your own space, and focus in silence as well uh, with your pen and paper or, or your iPad and make notes yourself. So that, that, that for me is something that I would, I would use uh, again and again and again, and I would certainly advocate for people who are listening to think about how you, how you do your meetings differently. Yeah, yeah, such great points there, John. And I
0: think we've all worked, you know, um, with with head teachers or senior leaders who were sort of Brian Clough-esque in the way that they ran meetings, you know. We'll talk about it for half an hour and then we'll all agree that you were right. Um, mm. That kind of approach. Whereas as you're advocating there, something a little bit more um, kind of professional in the sense of you know you need to go away research your area come back and present and something that we've kind of tried recently and i've tried with some of the behavior meetings is you know obviously i love the sound of my own voice clearly i don't want be doing a podcast but you know recording a presentation in advance and then offering it you know, as an opportunity for staff to to listen to that whenever they want to, obviously fitting in with our CPD schedule. So, and then following up with a meeting, which is kind of optional to come along. And if you prefer to listen to the presentation live, then fine, do. And if you want to come along to that and have the opportunity to ask questions rather than a kind of rushed. And it also cuts out all those horrible technical issues where something won't work or the seats aren't in the right place or whatever refreshments. I mean, the amount of time I must have spent over the years, you know, chasing milk around the school. Trying to find that, you know, it, it it kind of gets rid of all of those things as well, and it makes it a much more efficient meeting.
1: Absolutely, and and, and like you say, those are the little, those are some of the little things that can kind of make or break meetings. Biscuits, milk, you know, coffee, tea you know, juice, whatever it is, water, you know, they, if you look after people and you treat them like, you know, and treat them with respect, like, like adults and professionals, then you you normally get kind of great things back from people, don't you? We're going to step into, now, obviously we had an exchange on,
0: on Twitter about this beforehand, so I like to prep um, people that are coming on the show to make sure that they know this section. Now, I've had a lot of good feedback about it, and I do think that the, the vinyl sweet choices do help, Um, listeners to understand a little bit about the person behind the leader the person behind the book so we're going to take a step um, into the vinyl suite if that's okay John so Mm. what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first of your musical choices so can you tell listeners what the first choice is and why you've selected it please
1: yeah. And when we, when we spoke on Twitter, you know, you wanted me to pick kind of three kind of vinyl choices that really, I suppose um, said something about me as a, as a, as a person or as a character. So I, I went for, I went for a bit of a sporting theme. Nailers Natter, just talking to teachers.
0: Nailers Natter, just
1: talking to teachers with Teacher Hug Radio, the soundtrack to your teaching career. Um, and I'll kind of go through them kind of one by one. So the first one I went for was this is the one by the Stone Roses, and um, the reason I picked this one is because I'm a I'm a, a huge kind of Manchester United fan, and this is the song that actually they they play when the teams are in the tunnel and the team you know United are walking out onto Old Trafford, and and it just right now for me that's that I'm just kind of craving getting back to Old Trafford or getting back to stadiums, and and you know you and I were talking about this affair that it's that it's not just seeing your team play but it, it's the it's the match day experience it's sharing it with other people it's the the excitement the passion inside the stadium the and and you know lots of people are saying at the moment that that's one thing that they're missing in their lives is that going and sharing you know that kind of community space with people and some people that they only see on match days and suddenly they've not seen them for 12 months and so this for me is a song that really when I hear it you know I, I, it takes me almost right back to Old Trafford and that kind of excitement of you know, you've been in the ground for 30 minutes or so you've had a burger and then suddenly the team you hear it the teams are in the tunnel and i kind of getting goosebumps now actually thinking about it thinking that this is it you know they're about to come out on, on, onto the pitch and I, I love that, and I think it's, it, 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 it's a cracking song that, that just takes me to a certain place and makes me feel kind of excited um, in that stadium atmosphere. I'd like to leave the country <laughs>
0: Okay, so we heard from the Storm Roses there. So next choice for us, John please, in the Vinyl Suite. What is it, and why have you chosen it?
1: Right, well with this one we're gonna go we're gonna go uh, over to America. This one, it's Guns and Roses, and it's Welcome to the Jungle. And the reason I, the reason I've chosen this one is because I used to I used to coach American football. And um, you know, I've got I've, I coached for, for Great Britain for a while. I, I coached a kind of a, you know, a, a secondary school team that we went out to the kind of World Championships in America, and we played and coached in the in the Superdome in New Orleans. And you know, I'm a big kind of NFL uh, fan as well. And 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 this is a song that is quite regularly played in stadiums right before kickoff. And when I mean right before kickoff, I mean literally the seconds before kickoff. And the first 30 seconds of this just build up to a, a huge kind of crescendo. And, and you know, the Americans do these things really, really well. Um, you know, when you listen to this, the first 30 seconds, you, you imagine being in that stadium with 80 or 90,000 people the teams are lined up, ready for the kickoff. You've got the players you know, ramping the crowd up, throwing their arms in the air. You've got people jumping up and down, screaming, shouting. Lights are flashing. Um, and in the last kind of you know few seconds of this getting to its crescendo, like the first 30 seconds, you've got the kicker running up and actually kicking this ball off. And it's just that it's that energy in the stadium that I absolutely love. And again, I miss that. And it's a, it's just the kind of American razzmatazz that goes with that. Um, and I think it's a it's a perfect song to really kind of kick off what ultimately is a battle on the field.
0: Are great choices, John. now, listener, I'll I'll tell you that we've had some changes of pace on uh, the Teacher Hug radio show uh, in the vinyl suite. So, we've had you know, we had Simon Cox talking about William Bazinski, and we've had all sorts of different choices, but I don't think we've had a pace shift like we're about to get. So John's obviously gone from the Stone Roses into Guns N' Roses, and now this is going to be quite a different choice. What is your third musical choice, and why have you chosen
1: it? Well, this has got to be a world exclusive that I'm giving you now, because I don't think anybody in any in the history of, of radio presenting has ever gone from Guns N' Roses and Welcome to the Jungle straight into Abide With Me. I, 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 it can't have been done anywhere on the planet, so this is definitely a first. Um and I think that again, thinking on that, on that on that sport theme that I, that I'd said, um, a bad with me is 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 traditionally played uh, on cup final day at Wembley um, before you know the kind of you know the national anthem, and um, it's just it, it takes me back to being um, a boy watching um, football and watching cup final. If We can go from welcome to the jungle to a bad with me and get away with it. Then then we're going to do it.
0: But well, we are going to do it and we are going to get away with it. And again, I feel like I've shared quite a lot, John, but you kind of bring this out in me. I know I love talking to you and I wanted to kind of share this. So, you know, like you kind of grew up watching the football. Uh, I'm a Wigan supporter. So the idea of, of the FA Cup was something that we kind of, you know, dreamt about rather than was any kind of, you know, tangible um, possibility. Apart from in 1986, 87, we managed to get to the quarterfinal and get beaten by a lead. So, you know, as a whatever I would have been, 10, 11-year-old, standing watching that game and thinking, you know, oh, you were so close. But in 2013, obviously we, we made it to the FA Cup final, and uh, at the choice my at the time, sorry, my son was only was it three or four, and I remember having the conversation at home. With, I'm taking him to the cup final. <laughs> you, you're doing what? You're, no, I'm taking him to the cup final because they'll never ever get there again. Mm-hmm. Now, at the time. Obviously, Wigan were flying high. Premier League, you know, there was every possibility that they might go again. In fact, they got to the semi-final the year after. But I thought, I'm going to take him. And like you said there, I mean, the the hair's on the back of my neck and I don't have many hairs on Mm -hmm. on the head in general. But, you know, just thinking about that, standing there, you know, with my son, all on my shoulders, listening to Abide With Me and watching Wigan, you know, nick it in the 90th minute against Man City in 2013 was something else. So, yeah, I'm 100% with you on that one. So yeah, welcome to the jungle to abide with me. So let's hear that now. John, thank you again for your time tonight. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for having me on, Phil. It's been it's been a great, uh, you know, great great discussion. And it's been great to speak to you about all things leadership, really, and, and also a little bit of a little bit of football and and like I say those, those vinyl choices. Uh, I think we're, <laughs> fantastic how we how we how we've got from kind of guns and roses to a bad of me. It will be uh, that that needs to go on our uh, on our CV somewhere.
0: Well, it does. And, you know, for whoever's coming up next on the show, you know, if you can beat that combination, then, you know, please feel free to try. So, uh, yeah, we'd love some listener feedback on that as well. Right. Thank you, John.
1: Nellers, Natter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at PNA 1977 on Twitter. Nellers,
0: Natter, just talking to teachers. Naylor's Nata, just talking to teachers with Teacher Hug Radio, the soundtrack to your teaching career.